let me say welcome to everybody that is watching online and those of you that are here for the first time. I'm so glad that you're here. My wife and kids were here the last service, and uh, we had a pretty awesome first service today, and I'm excited for this service. Uh, before I dive into the message, I want to say, I want to give you another mini message that's on my heart that I feel is very important for all of us to hear right now before I talk about what uh, was on my heart prior to today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.13 is a scripture that I live so much of my life by, and I want to challenge you to live your life by it. Memorize this scripture. Have an understanding of what this scripture means. I've taught an entire message on this scripture in the, on, in the past. Here's what this scripture means. If you're not having personal encounters with the Lord that are getting you out of yourself in the private, you're not going to be as good as you should be for people in the public. If you're beside yourself, who do you talk to the most? Who talks to you the most? Yourself. And that is a scary thought. No pun intended. And so you're having these conversations with yourself all the time. And living in yourself all the time is not how God intended you to live. He called you to live in himself. And so what happens is, is when you have encounters and experiences with the Lord in private, it puts you together. The encounters and the transformation and the experiences transform you to be healthier and solid in the public and for other people. So if I'm out of my mind or beside myself, it's not for you, it's for the Lord. But if I'm in my right mind, it's for you. Now, the counterfeit of the devil is for you to get high, drunk, and have addiction on other things that get you out of your mind. And that's not for God. And you're no good for other people. But a few weeks ago, I preached a message on YouTube. It's titled, Stop This. And it was talking in Numbers 11 about the mixed multitude that brought complaining into the hearts of the Israelites. And in turn, God sent a fire. You might remember the message a few weeks back. But basically, they were complaining. And Moses was like afflicted by what the people were doing. There was division. They were complaining against him. They were complaining against one another. Um, it was really a bad situation. It was affecting their children. The children were getting infected by complaints. And in turn, God was very upset. And so was Moses. So Moses is like, I'm being afflicted. Why am I having to carry the people? Why do I have to deal with all the people's dysfunction? And I want to tell you that that's how it works. Jesus carried people's dysfunction on the cross. And when you come into the kingdom, you get strong to carry other people's hurts and pains and struggles, right? But sometimes it's so hard and you want to quit. If you lose the joy of your salvation, you're going to lose the joy of ministry. When I first got born again and saved, I was, and I'm still flamed on, but I was so flamed on, all I could think about was sharing the gospel and loving people and giving away what God had given to me. I was a child. And that's why God says, stay like a child, become like a child. Children have no social justice. My kids don't have Facebook. My kids aren't trying to prove anything. They're innocent like a child. And in turn, God moves mightily in children's lives. And it's not that we stay childish. This isn't childish, it's childlikeness. And so what was God's answer to the people complaining in Numbers 11? God had the leaders go to the tent of meeting. He poured out his spirit. And what did they do? They prophesied. Now, prophesied wasn't they just began to declare the things of God or become mouthpieces of the Lord. The word prophecy in the Hebrew means they had an ecstatic encounter experience where they got beside themselves. Because when you're in your mind all the time and you're struggling with what other people are thinking and doing and saying, you'll start complaining. 
But when you have encounters by God and your world gets rocked and you fall in love with him more, so you fall more in love with God. And the more in love I fall with him, the more I like you. You see how that works? But the less that I'm with him, the less I like you. Not you in general, but do you understand what I'm saying? Like you're gonna find yourself apathetic, angry, mad, lukewarm, disconnected, wanting to give up and questioning God. Where's all the signs and wonders? Where's the fire? Where's the passion? Where's the love? Is this it? No, that's not it. But it's not dependent on me or even Rock City. It's dependent on you having beside yourself encounters. I'm smiling for you because I love you and I'm telling you, you have got to get in the face of God. Go down to the beach when no one's around, roll around in the sand, kick sand over you, scream out to the Lord, flop around in the waves, let all his waves and billows roll over you. I don't know what you gotta do. Go sit with the Lord, drink a triple shot, cry your eyes out, melt your face off in God's presence, have encounters with God. Encounters transform you. God's answer to the complaints and the struggles and the issues of the people was, the spirit that I put on you, Moses, I'm gonna put on them. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. And this doesn't negate sticking into your word and reading your Bible and being sound doctrinally. But what it does means is that encounters transform your life. And what you do in the private is revealed in the public. And I made a decision. It's the last thing I'm going to say. I made a decision a long time ago when I traded my life of Grateful Dead, sex, drugs, rock and roll, and tripping acid and all the stuff that I did that I wasn't gonna trade it for a boring dead religion that had no power, no life, no wonder, no vigor. I, didn't come, I don't want to be a dumbed down Christian. How about you? Neither does God want you dumbed down. That's why there is more. That's why God pours his spirit out. That's why God wants you full all the time. Ephesians 5.18. Look at the contrast. Don't be drunk with wine, which intoxicates you and causes you to be uninhibited or to be inhibited, but be filled with the spirit, which intoxicates you and and causes you to be uninhibited. Both do the same thing, but one doesn't give you a hangover and make you do stupid things. Get intoxicated. Flame on. This isn't a nice church. We're We're out to rest. You know, this church is growing because more people are coming here that are coming out of the world that have never been a church. If you knew the people that were coming to this church that have given their lives to the Lord and are being attracted to the presence of God here, we're having some, some people coming from other churches, but most of the growth of this church is straight out of the world. Straight out of the world. Amen. P- people coming out of gangs. I mean, I mean serious, serious stuff that's happened in their lives but they see real, authentic, in the presence of the power of God, you're not gonna save anybody with good preaching. You're gonna save them with the power of God. And if God doesn't show up, then we just preached another good message. Amen? All right. So get beside yourself. Don't, you know, sometimes I just get tired of living with the thoughts in my head. How about you? So let him get his thoughts in your head. Let's get some Jesus in your head. All right? Amen. There was message Number one, message number one. In three weeks from now, we're launching our house fires home groups. And uh, this is a big change for Rock City Church. It's a big shift. We're laying down 
Wednesday nights that run on average 200 people. We've had so many encounters, healings, deliverances, worship, communion, so many things that have happened on Wednesday nights over the years. But we know that this church needs deeper relationships and it needs to get more unified in the private. And so what we really need more than anything desperately is companionship. I need companions. You need companionship. How do you find real companionship? What makes companionship real? What makes it authentic? For me, it's people that I have shared life experiences with. It's people that are true friends, that love me no matter what they know. A true friend is somebody that knows everything about you and says, come here, give me a hug. I love, I'm sticking with you no matter what. You really blew it bad. I know the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's the thing in marriage. It's like when you're married, it's, it should be true companionship. You know everything about the other person and you love them no matter what. But we also need that in friendships and community. I've got a band of brothers that I did 10 years of life with in Tulsa that are some of my best friends for life. We talk consistently all the time. We take trips throughout the year. Some come to visit here, but these are guys that have seen me in my best and my worst. I have a great group of mentors and fathers here and friends and peers that I meet with consistently about a closer group of four or five guys. And then I've got some other groups that if I was having a hangout, I'd hang out with them because I like them. Our leaders, our team leaders and our elders, I actually pick them because I actually do like them and I want to be their friend, not just because they need to be leaders. If I can't do life with them and have fun with them and laugh with them and be myself with them, then what's the point? If you think about Jesus's ministry, his whole three years was in a small group. Did he do things publicly to the masses? Yes, but then he was always with his core group. You have to have true companionship. You have to have true companionship. And the sad reality is that so many people don't have companions. They feel alone. Do you ever feel alone? Let me just confess to you, I feel alone a lot. And I think somehow that's by design because I'm actually not alone, right? There's a difference between being alone and lonely. They're different, right? You're never alone when you're born again because you have Christ with you and in you, and he wants to become your source, but then he puts you into a body. He puts you into a family. But sometimes you go through things where you feel alone. Let me just tell you guys right now, there are not enough marriage therapists in this town. There's not enough therapists to help you through your hardship. You need family. We need family. And the body of Christ should be providing a supply and a share that no one else could supply. And I'm not negating therapists. We have some of the best marriage counselors in this church, licensed drug counselors in this church, and more coming but we should be able to give therapy to one another. And that doesn't always happen here because this, you're in a, in a monologue, not a dialogue right now. It's, you know, I think to myself, how many times I preached a message that nobody got and, when I, and then somebody went through a crisis I'm, and I preached the exact message to them publicly and they didn't get it. But as soon as I sat with them face to face and I said the same thing I said publicly, they go, Oh my gosh, I never thought about that. And I'm like, come here, I'm gonna strangle you, right? Because there's something about that intimate dialogue. There's something about the face-to-face. There's something about the personal eyeball-to-eyeball interaction. And we all need it, right? And so I wanna share with you a little bit more about companionship in this context, okay? 
I'm thinking to myself, what makes a house on fire? We're calling our home group ministry House Fires. Why? Not because it's a cute name, not because it sounds good, but because in the very fiber and essence of who Rock City is, fire is, is interwoven in our language. It's the fire of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of God to transform lives. And imagine homes all over the city with flickering flames of fire, places where people can find healing and comfort and strength and rest. And people have fought in the trenches together in their most hardest, difficult of times. So here is a great story for you. In Acts chapter three and four, I'll paraphrase the story. You guys should know the story. In Acts three and four, right after the, the disciples get filled with the Holy Spirit, they're all meeting in an upper room in private in a house, 120 of them praying in one accord. The Holy Spirit hits, rushing wind, flames of fire. They get intoxicated by the Spirit and stumble out to the street and everybody thinks they're drunk. This is the story. It's in the Bible. Just like that. The people heard the sound from all over the city. They came to where they were and there are these tongue-talking, wide-eyed, radical, wild disciples out in the streets praying in tongues. It's the story. What happens there is that Peter and John the next day would go to the temple and it was their habit. The very end of Luke, when Jesus ascended, it says that the disciples continued every day meeting in the temple, no matter what. They didn't disengage from the temple, though the temple didn't teach and believe what they were now following they still continued to meet there, right? And so Peter and John go to the temple and they go through the gate called Beautiful. It's the largest, biggest gate entering into the temple and it's where the most people would go through. And a guy had been laying there begging for 40 years since his birth, he was lame, he couldn't walk. You know the story. If you don't, I'm paraphrasing it for you. Peter and John go into the temple and as they're going and they see the guys begging for money, they make eye contact, they lock eyes. Read the story. They look, looking at them in the eyes, back and forth. Peter and, and stretched out his hand, silver and gold, I have none. But what I do have, I give to you. The lame man re reaches out his hand. And in turn, the guy has a creative miracle. What's a creative miracle? Think about it. He's never, ever walked. So think of what his legs and his muscles and his sinews and his joints must have been like. And an instant, creative, a creative miracle came into his body. He leapt to his feet and he was healed. He started praising, worshiping, and dancing. That is a besides-yourself encounter. So when other people are getting rocked and dancing and, you know, don't get distracted. Celebrate with them, right? Because when you, if you hadn't walked in 40 years, what would you do, right? I mean, seriously. And so... What happens next? Peter and John get arrested. The people are ecstatic. They want to know the story. They start preaching the gospel. Peter and John get arrested. And in turn, the miracle can't be denied. And because the miracle can't be denied and the people were so blown away by the miracle that if they would have kept Peter and John in prison, a riot would have happened. And so the religious leaders let them go but before they let them go, it says that they were severely threatened, severely threatened. What does severely threatened mean to me? 
It means if you don't stop doing what you're doing, your whole family's gonna suffer. You're coming against the governmental structure and system of the day, and I have all the power and the authority to ruin and destroy your life. So you better not preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. Now, what happened to Peter and John when they got let go? Acts 4.23. And being let go, this is what I want you to see today. Being let go, they went where? They went to their own companions first. Did they continue to preach and go out and do? Yes, but where did they go first? To their own companions. We can't wait until every Sunday to meet. When crisis hits, what was the context of this? It was public persecution. Don't think that persecution's not gonna come. In fact, they actually prayed prior or after this that God actually ordained persecution to come so that life and power would come into their, their lives. Now, what is a companion again? A companion is someone who you've spent a lot of time with. I know you. I have history with you. We have history. Now, some of you, we don't know each other and we don't have history. But if you stay the course and we stay committed to one another and we get into relationship with one another, you'll build history. You'll build shared experiences together. Over all the years of Rock City, which just celebrated 10 years last fall, or last December, and all the history of Rock City Church, all the conferences, all the weeping, all the crying. I remember yours. I remember yours. I remember yours. I remember yours. I remember how many times you got rocked and when you gave your life to the Lord or you cried or got deliverance or got healing or set free and you came in bowed up and sitting in your chair with shame and then after a period of time, you're worshiping your face off. I remember those. I remember your failures. I remember your shortcomings. I remember the cyclical patterns of dysfunction and yet you kept showing up and God delivered you from it. Now I know you because I've walked with you. I've seen you in your best and your worst. I got guys coming here that never would have ever gone to church had for 15 years I not loved them with no hooks. Love with no hooks. Then God does the rest. Love covers a multitude of sins, right? And so you have to have companions. We all need our own companions. Who's your companion? Those who you've shared life experiences with, you have history, people that know your heart, they know, you know that you can trust them and that they're never, they're loyal. You know, one thing I can tell you about my wife and some of you, you should rejoice right now because you got loyal wives in this house. My wife is, I'm telling you, she's so stinking loyal. Her greatest gift is loyalty. She's like, it doesn't matter how hard it is or what it gets, I'm always gonna be up, be here and I'm always gonna show up. And she does. Loyalty is one of the greatest attributes you can never have because Jesus was the most loyal person you'll ever know. So loyal, he went all the way to the cross. I'm loyal in the sense that I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm rooted and I'm gonna show up. And I'm gonna show up when I don't wanna show up. And I'm gonna show up when I can't breathe. And I'm gonna show up when I don't feel good. And I'm gonna show up when I don't wanna be here. And I'm gonna beat the tar out of those drums because I love Jesus. And I, if you suppress, look, if you suppress my gift, I'm gonna be oppressed or de when a gift is suppressed, you're oppressed or depressed. So they went to their own companions. And they talked about their persecution and what they were told. And they probably, and they processed together. They stood together with one another. They prayed together with one another. They loved one another. 
Again, a true friend is someone that knows everything about you and loves you just the same. Look, take my advice right now. If you're going to stay the course, realize most people are not going to do what you think they should do. And if you can resolve that in your mind and go, you know what, come here, I love you no matter what. You didn't, you know, you're not doing it the way I should do it or I think you should do it or the way that I would do it, but I trust the Lordship of Christ in your life. You know, the Bible talks about the I can't say to the hand, I have no need you of you. But in the kingdom, everybody wants to be around I, the people that are just like them. But God doesn't do it that way. He brings diversity and unity, unity and diversity. So the hand can't say to the I have no need of you. But the truth is, is our personality likes to be around people just like us. And that's the dysfunction in the church. If we're all the same, then we're never going to be a true body. 35,000 denominations in the world today. Did you know that? 35,000 denominations, all with different doctrinal beliefs. There are cults and parachurch organizations and people that lay claim to Jesus that I think to myself, there's no way you know the Lord. There's denominations out there that don't believe in any move of the spirit and are full cessationists, yet they're still my brothers. There are Catholics that are born again, whether you like it or not. And, you, and the challenge is, is that it's this diversity that in many ways God allows to happen to create the contrast. What if the Sadducees and the Pharisees were really there by design to, to reveal the true light when it came? Think about it. In a group setting of companions, companions complement one another. You compliment me because you're different than me. My wife and I are the most opposite of personalities than I've ever known. I mean, sometimes it's bad because opposites attract or opposites attack. And sometimes there's some attacking, a whole lot of attacking going on. Yes, y'all, can I get an amen? That's right. But the truth is, is when harnessed by the presence of God and in unity by the spirit, our, our opposites make us even greater because I need somebody opposite of me. She needs somebody opposite of her. So true companions complement one another. They bring provision and supply to one another's need, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So we need to both give and receive. But I know people that just struggle with receiving. Do you know anybody like that? It's like, if I'm going to walk up to give you a hundred bucks, you're like, oh, you don't have to do that. Why, wait, why are you doing that? No, 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 no. I'm good. I don't need that. Just take the money. It's like, I want to care for you. I want to help you. In fact, it's, it's better to give than to receive, the Bible says. It's like, I've tried to help you. It's like, oh, I'm good. Like, it's, I'm not even probably doing it for you. I'm doing it because God told me to do it. So this is the thing about true companionship or koinonia. You guys know about the word koinonia. It's the word fellowship in the Greek, and it means benefactor. It means that we, we, are, we, are, we give benevolence to one another. But it can't just happen on a large scale. It has to happen on a small scale where intimacy and unity can happen in a home because it's more personal than it is on just a large scale. 
It's a place where prayer, power, and equipping takes place. Look at Acts 4.31. So they met with their companions in the home. They prayed out to God. They asked for boldness. And look at this. And when they had first prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And what happened? They were lit on fire. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is the lampstand in the inner court. It's the lampstand in your heart. It's being flamed on all the time. And so when persecution hit and they met with their companions in private, and what did they do first? They prayed. These groups are gonna come alive because we're gonna pray for one another. We're gonna stand together in hardship and persecution. We're gonna walk in the trenches of the most difficult of situations and circumstances. And we'll be filled with the Spirit. And what happens when you get filled with the Spirit? You preach the Word of God with boldness. The sending happens. When true persecution hits home, true companions are found, and the Holy Spirit answers. What if God predetermined your persecution, only to pour out more of His fire and power on your life? It's persecution with a purpose. The Bible says that anybody that desires to live a godly life will suffer persecution. It's going to happen. And we don't have it that bad now, but what's coming? Remember, what was it? Was it last year we had the five-day freeze or two years ago? Two years ago, right? Two years ago, we had five days of freeze. And in turn, some people didn't have power for two weeks. You remember that? For those five days, the only access to the island was closed. The bridge was shut down. People didn't have electricity, but many of them had fireplaces and their homes dropped into the 30s. So I had people coming to my house with their boats and I loaded up. I had, thanks to Adam Johnson and others who would just keep bringing me firewood, little did they know they were providing firewood for the island in a freeze. And so the boats would come to my house and I would load it up with the generator. I'd load it up with firewood and they'd go over to the marina and they'd jump in their boat and drive it across the Laguna Madre. So people would have heat in their homes. And that's the understanding that no matter what comes, whether it's governmental, whether they try to shut the church down, let me just tell you guys right now, we're not gonna be shut down again. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to close the church again. And if I get arrested, y'all better be my companions. Who's going to bail me out? All right, good. You go to jail with me? All right. If we go to jail, we're just going to sing songs. The jail bars are going to come down. And all those outlaws are going to come to Rock City. That's what's going to happen. They're going to come to Rock City. God doesn't bring persecution for the fun of it, but he brings it because he knows how good and powerful he is, and he wants you to know it. He wants you to understand that he's more powerful than your adversaries. So we know it's coming. Let's get prepared, all right? A house on fire requires several things. It requires honesty, and it requires the giving of yourself. It's complete sacrifice that brings incredible life to all who take part. It's finding your trench fighters. I love that word trench fighter. Trench fighter to to me means I'm gonna get in the trenches with you in your most horrible, difficult of trials and fight. I'm I'm not afraid to get dirty. I'm not afraid to get dirty. 
I came out of the dirt. Y'all came out of the dirt. So you got to not be afraid to get in the trenches with the worst of the worst and the hardest of the hardest and get yourself dirty. Remember, I once wanted to start a ministry called One Arm in the Gutter Ministries. You guys remember that? One Arm in the Gutter. It had two meanings. One, I'm not afraid to reach in the gutter and pull you out. Or if I'm out praying for people on the sidewalk doing street outreach, they're going to get slain in the spirit and one arm's going in the gutter. It kind of had a double meaning in my mind, right? I'm going to slay you out in the spirit. Anyway. It's the complete giving of your supply. Everybody say, I have a supply. Say, I have a share. You all have something to give. In a body, you have a supply and a share to give so that others may learn to move freely. It's being jointed versus just disjointed. Remember the word joint in the Greek, what it means? It doesn't mean a doobie. It's not a joint. It's a joint. And what it really means in the Greek is harmony. The same word for harmony in the Greek is joint because your body is supposed to have harmony. So the body has harmony when it's jointed together properly not disjointed from one another. And this body must get jointed together better. Everybody does their share. Remember James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another, you may be healed. So you need to have a place. See, I first confess my sins to the Lord, but there's something that feels so good when I bring it in the light with a friend. I'm telling you, it's something so good when I say, Jeff, bro, I blew it with my wife. You wouldn't believe what I did. And he laughs. He's like, I did the same thing to my wife. And then we just repent and laugh because it's like we have the same wives in many ways. So there's got to be this place where you can have a safe companionship of community where you can confess and find healing, right? It's safe houses, secret places, and conventicles. How many of you know what a conventicle is? You know, because I told you last service. You, y'all are cheating. Some of you are like, a conventicle? The root word is convent. I want you to look this up. I want you to search it out. This is a neat word. You learned something today. Conventicles were secret nonconformist meetings when persecution hit the church. And, and yes, we know a convent as a place where um, nuns or monks will go to retreat for seasons of their life to dedicate but really a convent was a secret hidden meeting place. And the early church, really the upper room was a conventicle. When Paul was persecuting the church, the early church met in conventicles. Do you got that? Conventicles are really small home meetings that are in private and in secret. And the early church was full of them. And in turn, what you had happen in the early church was that when persecution hit, People would hide out and meet in private, but then they kept meeting. And then the mainline mainstream church started to see them as nonconformists because those people in their home groups and their house churches wouldn't come and meet in the public gatherings. So then they got ostracized. And then you had this pit between mainstream church and home groups, which should have never been. They should actually be together one and the same because the disciples, I'll talk about this next week, did both. They met daily in the temple and broke bread in homes consistently. It's conventicles, mini convents, basically, of people meeting together to pray and seek God's face. 
Ephesians 4.16, talking about the body of Christ, talking about the head of Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. So let's say it again. I have a supply. Some of you aren't saying it. Come on, I have a supply. I have a supply and I have a share. That's right. So you have something to give and something to share with one another, whether you feel like it or not, right? We all need to receive and we all need to give. And what happens when everybody does their share and their supply? It causes the body to grow. The word edify here literally means to be built up. So we have to build one another up. This is the kingdom of God. It's building one another up. It's giving your share and your supply. It's doing what Jesus did when he broke of himself and gave of his body, which is what true communion is. Everyone has a share and supply that joins and knits us together like glue or a beautiful woven tapestry of colors. When we do our share and give our supply, the body grows. People are built up in love. This is true communion. It's the complete giving of your flesh and blood, which brings real remembrance. And I'm going to talk about this next week. I was going to talk about it today, but next week I'm going to slay some sacrament myths. You do not want to, I'm, I might make some people manifest and mad next week, but I'm going, to, I'm going to teach what I believe real communion is. And I don't believe it's a wafer and a little cup of juice. I don't believe it's just symbolic. I believe when Jesus said at the last supper, do this in remembrance of me, he meant give of your flesh and your blood to one another. When we stop being pretentious, having our own little nice, pretty experiences between us and God and start actually breaking our bodies open like Jesus did for one another. So the single moms in this house aren't alone and the single ch- the ch- fatherless dads aren't alone. Where's the men breaking their lives for kids? Where's those that'll sacrifice their lives and rip their flesh open and say, here, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood? That's next week, by the way. That's next week. It's not pretentious. It's not selfish. It has little to no focus on our own needs. I have a ton of needs. But the best way for my needs to get met is when I meet your needs. The more I meet your needs, God meets my needs. Do you understand? Some of you say, why would Pastor David do what he's doing? Because the more I help you, God helps me. I need help bad. He says, go help someone else. My kids, they've been watching these YouTube videos where if you, there's some YouTube videos of kind gestures that people did for other people. There's a bunch of them out there, like random acts of kindness. And I'm sitting there, I'm walking through the room, they're watching them, and I just start crying. Because when I see people sacrifice their lives for one another, especially those that don't have the same things you have, or those that have disabilities, those that aren't as as blessed as we are or have the things that we have, and somebody gives it away, I cry a lot. That's why I got into ministry to give away everything that was in me because I loved people. I didn't do it for anything else. And you can't let anybody else's dysfunction and frustration and whatever they say or post on Facebook rob your joy. If it is, get off Facebook. Some of y'all, as soon as this service is over, you need to go to Walmart or Lowe's, buy a roll of duct tape, and I want you to take your hands and I want you to tape up your hands for a day. 
or put a piece of tape over your mouth. It's death in the most beautiful form. The death of Jesus is carried about daily in our bodies by the complete self-sacrificing of ourselves for others. Look at this scripture in 2 Corinthians 4.10. Every day, everybody say every day, you're gonna die. Why? Look at the scripture. Because if I carry about the death of Christ in me, I'm crucified with Christ daily. So I carry about the death of Christ inside of me. Why? So that the life of Jesus would be made manifest. Manifest means exhibited, revealed, and demonstrated in every area of my life. If I'm not caring about the death, broken body, and here's my blood, you can't have something to give to someone else. So I'll say it this way. If you're not dying, you're not really living. Or I'll say it another way. If I'm always dying, then I'm always giving. If I'm not giving, then I'm not dying. Dying and giving go hand in hand. Just get a bunch of kids. Just get a baby. Get married. Now, not some of you don't need to get babies or married yet. Young adults, some of you young adults and teenagers, but I'm making a, the, the parents understand, the grandparents understand. You're in complete dying of daily. Like, you're just dead. I was like, I can't put any extra pressure on you. Just die. And I'm watching Jesus manifest in your life because this is how it works is that the more you give, giving is dying. Giving is dying. When you stay alone and isolated, you're not dying. And the more you give, the harder it is because people don't do what you think they should do. And you're different than me. You're an eye, I'm a hand, whatever it is. And I like hands. I don't like eyes. Whatever it is. So the more you give, giving and dying go hand in hand. That's why I say, that's why some of my most powerful encounters I've ever had in my life have been when I pray for someone else. When I lay hands on you, you're the one that's, you're like hurting, broken, you start crying. Next thing you know, it comes back at me and I start weeping and crying because God says, you're actually praying for yourself. Isn't that cool? Because we're a body. So you actually pray for yourself. Start praying for some people. Lay hands on someone for goodness sakes. Just don't do it suddenly. Listen, there's no death without the giving of life to others. There's no death without the giving of life to others. It's not you, yourself, and us three and no more. Olives and grapes have to be crushed. Spices have to be extracted. The coffee has to be ground. Couldn't wait to say that one. Sacrifices have to be burned. Do you understand? Jesus gave his life for us, that in turn, we would give ours for others, that we would become true companions to one another. When Jesus first sent the disciples out, I want to show you this, Luke 9, 4. When Jesus first sent his disciples out, babies, spiritually, all right, Luke 9, 4, what does it say? When, whatever house you enter, stay there. 
and don't leave. Why? Why did God say? Why did Jesus say that? Because you're not going to have shared experiences. You actually won't be able to heal them because real healing can come in many different forms. Sometimes it's this lightning strike of laying on hands, and sometimes you need to change your diet. Sometimes it comes through therapy, and this is therapy. This means get in the trenches and stay there. That's what Jesus, I'm paraphrasing it for you. Get into somebody's house and stick with them. And then in Luke 10, 7, when he sent out the 72, what did he say? He said, remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. And I'll talk more about that next week, the real breaking of bread at home. For the labor's worthy of his wages. Do not, I'm gonna paraphrase this, do not become a house hopper. Do not become a church hopper. You know, once I wanted to start a, a software called the Church Hopper Database. And I was going to put all y'all that were hopping churches around and in the system, and then I was going to get all the pastors, and we were going to track you everywhere that you go. It was really a bad idea, but boy, is it funny. It, I mean, we, I would never do it, but boy, does my flesh want to. Why did he say don't go from house to house? Because of what would take place in the house. And in the house, you would find healing, power, life. The house would be lit on fire. The Holy Spirit would come and it, then it would send you out because it would be from that place that they would get connected and transformed and then they would get healed to send. So they would then go out and preach the gospel from those places. Requires true relationships and remaining in the house. This is why we must be committed to one another. We have to have true communion that brings transformation like Jesus's life did. Next week, I'm gonna talk with you about what I believe real communion looks like. And we are gonna take communion together on a Sunday morning, but we're gonna do it a little different than we've done it before, okay? We're gonna, we're gonna treat it differently than we've treated it before, but I'm gonna do it in context of what I believe real communion is because I actually don't believe that the sacraments are sacred in the way that the church has made it to be because communion didn't turn up the way it did until 200 AD when the churches took control of it and started making it a part of a religious worship service. Jesus never made it a part of a religious worship service. He made it at a table and at a cross. And he said, as often as you break yourself, as often as you cut yourself, not like cutting yourself to mutilate yourself, but to give of yourself. It's like, I'll, you're, you're cutting me and I'm cutting you, but we're giving of ourselves to one another, no matter how hard it hurts and how different we are. And that's what the kingdom does. He'll put, he'll put a complete outlaw, drug addict, criminal with somebody that's never done drugs and was raised in a Baptist church that was the nicest guy you ever met. He does that here all the time. It's Jeremy with the worst of the worst. <laughs> and this is like, I can't relate. It's like, oh, but the Holy Spirit can. So you have to have somebody just like you that understands. No, you don't. God can use anybody. He can speak through a donkey. And sometimes we're the donkey. All right.
I know y'all have a lot of questions. Next week, we're going to have all the tables for the home groups here, all the home group leaders. This is just the beginning. We're going to be having continuous new leaders come up, and you're going you're gonna to get healthy to open your home. All right? And some got picked this round, some didn't. I think we have over 20 home groups that we're launching next week. Next week, I'll teach on communion. We'll do communion. We'll stir some stuff up, make some people mad. Then we'll go sign up for home groups. All right? And you're going to go find the leaders and you're going to meet them face to face and you're going to see who you're going to go and pick the ones that you like. And you're going to, and then after that, as you sign up, we'll put you into home groups. We'll pick them. Some will be based on life stage. Some will be based on, on demographics, like where somebody lives. And, you know, we got people that live in Cal Allen and Portland and, you know, those groups just need to open up to help the people there. We have marriage groups and singles groups and young adults groups and, uh, uh, youth groups, all different life stages. And I'm going to ask you all to be patient. We're learning too. I didn't go read the manual from the church down the street of how to start a home group. We're doing this based on the leading of the Holy Spirit. It has to be Rock City, okay? We're, we're unique to us. So next week, we're going to receive communion as a family. The next two Wednesdays are Supernormal Natural Nights. I ask you guys to come the next two Wednesdays for Supernormal Natural and then Wednesdays will end as we knew them. We'll go to once a month, the first Wednesday of the month, all right? We need houses on fire. We need men and women on fire. I need you full of the Spirit. I need lampstands in your heart. Let's close your eyes for a minute and put your hand on your heart. Pray this childlike prayer with me. Lord, please put a lampstand in my heart. Set me on fire, God. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. Have mercy. Forgive me. For anything I've said or done, that's not right in your eyes. Any division in my heart. If you've been angry at somebody or have ought against something people are doing, you're gonna have to forgive and move forward. Stop letting those things get to you. Forgive today, forgive, all right? You gotta forgive. You got to forgive. So Lord, I just pray over this church. So we transition to a whole brand new season, all the new people coming. I thank you, God, that you're making us one as you and the Father are one. I thank you, Lord, for real companions, those that have been alone, that need real friendships in their corner. Lord, all over the bluff, all over the south side, the west side, the north side, I pray houses on fire all over this region. And I thank you, Lord, for the leaders, those that give and receive. Thank you for true koinonia and thank you for your healing power in this house. I speak healing to your body, to your family, and I pray supernatural strength over you. And I thank you, God, for what you've done and what you're about to do. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.